Let me pray for us. God, thank you for today. Thank you for a, a church that is committed to training and equipping leaders. And we're also committed to then take that training and equip the saints, those that you bring to us through our small groups, through our friendships and relationships. And we just were excited to be a part of what you're doing. Be excited to be a part of the kingdom. So God, I, I pray that today would be you teaching us, challenging us, comforting us, encouraging us, convicting us, whatever you need to do to get us on board with uh, what you're doing and where you're at. So I just want to turn this over to you. I acknowledge that apart from you, it's just empty words. So I'm, I'm praying for the Holy Spirit to move in here today and to be the teacher and the counselor, the comforter. So God, let this be glorifying to you and to Jesus Christ. And it's in his name that we pray. Amen. Well, good morning, everyone. Hey, uh, first thing, although it looks pretty good, if you're at a table with only like one person, that could be weird because we're going to do table discussions <laughs> unless you like talking to yourself, which isn't all that abnormal. Uh, Kevin, did you like bring extra water bottles or are there people going to come? Okay, that, well, yeah, that's, that's good. You know, we have ministries for that. Um, come and talk to me at the break. You guys are good. Are everybody good? You got at least two or three people at your table? All right, fantastic. So just right out of the gate, I wanted to uh, make sure that we all kind of got on the same page as far as what our goals were for this morning. Um, it's a different kind of training. We've kind of covered some of this over the years, but uh, not as um, intense as this and not as focused as this, but we're really going to be talking about relationships uh, today and the relation and how God uses those relationships in ministry is super important. So I summarized uh, the goal for the training by simply saying uh, we want to help equip you for personal growth. So this just, this isn't just about the people that you're ministering to, the people in your small group, the people in your ministry. It's not just about equipping you on how to encourage them, how to teach and train them or mentor them. It's not just about that. A lot of this this morning has to do with you and your relationship with God and what he's doing in you. So we want to equip you for personal growth in your own life and the lives of those you minister to. So we're going to be calling that personal ministry. We're going to use that term a lot this morning. We're going to call it personal ministry. I'll, I'll give an illustration of what personal ministry is in a second. So like I said, we desire that your relationship with God would grow deeper in knowing how much Jesus has accomplished for you. That is so key when it comes to ministering to others because if we're not ministering out of that, uh, out of what Jesus has accomplished in you and what he wants to accomplish in them, it gets weird. It goes sideways. So um, we want you to know how much Jesus has accomplished for you and how deeply he loves you. And then when it comes to ministering to others, um, we desire that you, this is really important, really important thread that's going to be woven throughout this morning that you are resting in his sovereignty over everything, including the people that we're ministering to. I don't know about you, but I get 
anxious sometimes, like this person isn't responding, like, or if I'm sharing the gospel, I'm, like I'm on the hook for, to get them to pray their prayer or whatever. You know what I'm talking about. I can get feeling like, did I do a good job? They didn't respond. Is it my fault? Well, I want to emphasize and reemphasize over and over again that a lot about today is you resting in God's sovereignty over everything and that we're completely relying on the resource of his grace and his power to accomplish, and here's the hard part, to accomplish his will in their life, not my will. I have a will for my kids, you know? Sometimes that's different than God's will for my kids, especially my young adult kids, right? I, I got this path all set out for their life, and most of the time they're not on that path. So that's what a lot of this is about. So we're going to be using that term, personal ministry. Here's a, a great, the screen is supposed to be on. How about that? Actually, that is a great opportunity to fix right there. Let's just let that come up. Thank you, Vin. How, were you guys just going to sit there and let me go through this whole training? Okay. Thank you, Vinny. Speak amongst yourselves for a minute. Does anybody know a joke? Anyway, I, I can keep going. Hopefully it comes up. I don't know what's... Here we go. Man, that looks ominous, doesn't it? It doesn't look good. Is it getting brighter? It's getting brighter. The question is going to be, how much is Vinny going to use that to get free coffee and all kinds of free stuff? So anyway, all right. So I use the term uh, personal ministry. And I, I heard that through um, a guy named Paul Tripp. And by the way, this, this morning, what we're going to be talking about is coming from a curriculum that we feel very uh, high toward. We're, we're really liking it. In fact, we're going to teach this curriculum. It's called Instruments in the Redeemer's Hands, and it's all about personal ministry. It's all about um, having God using us in our relationships. And we're going to, the class itself is 11 weeks, so we're going to try to teach the whole thing in three hours. Now, as you can imagine, we're not going to be able to do that, but I did want to let you know that the material we're going through today is really just a snapshot of that very deep, very extensive material. And we're going to start that on our Sunday morning leadership class on March 10th, right after the campaign is over. We're going to be doing that. So Paul Tripp in, in that um, curriculum has this graphic, and I think it's really good. So we're all familiar, I think, with public ministry, right? That's the preaching. That's using God's word for preaching and teaching. We love coming to church. We love hearing sermons. We love going to Bible studies. We love teaching Bible studies. We're probably, we're all leading Bible studies. That's why we're here to some degree. That would be known as the public use of God's word, where you're with a larger group of people at church or maybe even a smaller group of people in a small group, and you're going through God's word that way. So we're familiar with that term. We're familiar with the term private ministry. And that would be you and God, a personal devotional, your quiet time with God every day. That's super important. I think we would all say, yeah, that's a big part of a Christian's life is to have that one-on-one -on -one time with God, like every day, all the time, right? 
Personal ministry is the use, using God's word in relationships. And this is where it can get dicey because you can start quoting scriptures and you can misuse God's word. You can misuse God's word in public ministry, right? There's false teachers all over the place. You can misuse God's word in uh, private ministry, unfortunately. You can turn devotional and quiet times with God into some kind of mystic thing that's probably God's doesn't have anything to do with that, right? But man, we sure feel it when we misuse God's word in personal ministry. And that's what today is about. How does God want us to use his word? How does God want us to, to be participating with him in our relationships with that appropriately? I, we, I think we've all been on the receiving end of a, an ill-timed rebuke where somebody, we're really hurting or maybe we've messed up some way and somebody says, you know, uh, lying's a sin, Matt. You know, just boom, like bam. Well, that's true. <laughs> it is, but there's no context there. There's no relationship there. There's no, probably no spirit there, right? So there's a way to do this, guys. That's not right. And there's a way to do it that's wonderful and beautiful. And I, I really want you to, to take that title, Instruments in the Redeemer's Hands, and let that kind of settle in. Because when you're an if you think you're the redeemer, we got a problem. If you're the redeemer and Jesus is an instrument in your hand and you're using Jesus and his word to accomplish your will and your goal, we've got a problem. Right? We're the instrument. So the, the key there is to know uh, where is the redeemer working? How can I be that instrument? So, and that gets... Uh, touchy sometimes. It gets difficult sometimes. So hopefully this makes sense. Um, like I said, we're going to be using instruments in the Redeemer's hands. The curriculum is intensely Christ-centered. We're still on, right? I'm going to rely on Vinny. Uh, it's Christ-centered material. It's woven into and emphasized in every lesson. Look for it. By the way, we're going to have three sessions today. We're, I'm going to do a little introduction here until about 10. Then we're going to take a break. And then uh, myself and... Um, Eric Wonderly going to come back and do session two. We'll take another break. And then Josh and Vinny are going to do session two, three. We were going to have wor a workshop rotation, but we realized that the curriculum that we're presenting to you today really has to go in, an, in a specific order. And if it doesn't, this is where problems come. We want to jump right into telling people uh, what the Bible says or what they should do or how to fix their problem before we even know them or before we can love them. So that's why we're going to stay in here. Um, so be listening for that Christ-centered thread through, the, through all of this. We're going to be offering the full workshop, like I sh said, starting March 10th during 1055 service and 246. You can even register for that online now if you want to, if you want to search under upcoming events. It's happening in March. So let's kick this off with a table discussion. Um, let's take a few minutes at our tables. So I'm going to assign table facilitators, all right? So whoever is the youngest person at your table, you are the facilitator. Please don't spend 10 minutes trying to figure out who the youngest person. Sometimes you can just make an observation and determine who the youngest person is. Here's the question. As a Christian, 
I now notice how it doesn't say as a leader, right? It doesn't say as a leader. It says as a Christian, what do you think your role is when it comes to leading small groups of people or even in one-on-one -on -one relationships? What's your role? What's your role in that? Let's take a few minutes and talk about that. I'll bring you back in a few. Make sure everyone gets a chance to share. Start wrapping it up. All right. The, the challenge with table discussions is getting them back, right? <laughs> what did you guys come up with? Just shout it out. Somebody shout out. What are some of the roles that you play? Yeah. Guide with questions, not statements. Okay. Do you think sometimes we have to use statements? Not with a baseball bat. Well, okay, that depends. I've got people in my group, you know, sometimes, you know, anyway, no, we frown on, you know, abusing people with baseball bats. Yes. Be a facilitator, not a preacher or a teacher. Okay. So not just, it's not just about teaching. Preaching one-on-one -on -one is weird, right? Especially if you have a podium and a microphone, but... Teaching is, is cool, but you don't want to lose sight of the fact that there is an equipping piece where you're not supposed to do it all. Good, Ed. There, back there. Pointing people to Christ. Yes, great. Have you gone through instruments and redeemers? No, just. Yeah, I mean, that is a big part of, of our role when we're dealing with people, when we're working with people. I know I, I just want to solve the problem. Right? I don't know why. I've been asking myself, why is that so important to me? That I came up with the answer, right? That I was the one who rescued the marriage or, you know, I don't know. I'm sure it's a pride thing. Was there another hand? Yeah, Dave. Really, really good. In fact, uh, that's one of our core values. Dave said providing a safe and what? Authentic. What do you mean Authentic. Really good. And then that's not always easy to do, right? Yeah, Sal. So, uh, yeah, when we're working with people, learn good listening skills, right? Trying to draw them out, right? These are all good. Did someone, I thought I saw one more hand somewhere. No? Yeah. In various different ways, right? That's another uh, one of the things we're going to be covering today is because uh, the Redeemer wants to redeem. He really does. And we can, I think we can, uh, we can get fooled into looking around our group, and maybe we've got mature, whatever that means, mature people in our 
group who don't need to be redeemed anymore or something like that. They're done, right? They've been a Christian for you fill in the blank. And uh, this, this stuff is for the other people that aren't, that aren't as faithful at church and faithful at giving and faithful at my devotion. They're, this isn't for me, it's for them. And we lose sight of the fact that we're all in process, right? So our groups need to be a safe, authentic, slash, confidential, I mean, whatever other words you want to come up with, where people can be real and be transparent with what's really going on so that they can get closer and closer and closer to the Redeemer. Very good, guys. I um, want to read this passage really quick. Uh, Pastor Phil Ward looked this over at the conference uh, a couple months ago. Actually, it was more like six months ago, but he did a really good job on that. I just wanted to read this because this is super important about where we as a church feel what we feel um, is kind of the calling of our leaders and, and how that fits into discipling others. Take a, take a look at this. Ephesians 4, uh, starting in verse 11. So Christ himself gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors and teachers to equip his people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God. He doesn't like periods, the Apostle Paul, right? And become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. Let me stop for a minute there. Now, that includes everybody. Did you catch that? So, yeah, there are apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers. There's clearly um, uh, people who are called to a higher level of leadership, and, man, they're held accountable for that. But, but notice how they're not called to just teach or feed or take care of everyone else. What are they called to do? Equip. To do what? The works of service, right? So that's everybody. I mean, you're either called, you have a calling to a higher level of leadership in a body of Christ somewhere, or you're a, you're an, a saint, or you you know you're a, a Christian that's being trained. But we're all in the same body, and we all have spiritual gifts, and we're all called to participate in the divine kingdom that's coming now as we speak. And there's no consumers. There's no consumers. There's no shouldn't be any consumers in our group. So that's one of the things that we really want to be working on in the next couple of years, and that's helping train our leaders to be good equippers. Because um, I know it's, it's really tough sometimes. You start burning out, and you're the one doing all the prep work, and then they don't even call, right? Oh, I forgot to call you. We're not coming. You know, that, that whole thing. And then that bitterness sets in, and you've arranged all the chairs. You've done all the coffee. You've bought all the brownies. There's you and your wife and the dog muffin, and maybe the one person you wish didn't come. I don't know. But anyway, it's, it can be challenging. So part of that, you want muffin there because, you know, muffin's cute. But anyway, let me finish this passage. Then we will no longer be infants tossed back and forth by the waves and blown here and there by every wind of teaching and by the cunning and craftiness of people in their deceitful scheming. Oh. How easily we're led astray, right? Instead, speaking the truth in love. By the way, this, this whole 
time today isn't about listening skills and all that. The whole second half is about speaking the truth and, and proper rebuke and confrontation and admonition and encouragement. So I just want you to know that's coming, but there's a lot of prep work that needs to be done. Yes, there's a need to tell the truth, but it needs to be done in love. So the whole first half of today is more about love and knowing people. The second part will be about speaking truth to them and maybe offering direction in their life, okay? So there, it's truth and love. We will grow to become in every respect the mature body of him who is the head, that is Christ. That's somebody mentioned. We're leading people to the Redeemer. We're leading people to Jesus. From him, the whole body joined and held together by every supporting ligament grows and builds itself up in love as everybody, each part, does its work. Leaders have been gifted, positioned, and anointed, according to this passage, to train and mobilize the saints for an every person, every day kind of ministry. This isn't Sunday and then your group on Wednesday. And it's not just church people. God is sending people into our lives on a daily basis. We already have relationships with people. We don't have to um, worry about that or go out and force relationships. God is bringing us relationships. Every person, every day kind of a ministry is personal ministry. It's relationship. Unfortunately for many, church is an event to attend or just an organization to belong to. Oh, you're a Christian. Yeah, I go to Golden Hills. Okay, um, is there anything else you want to add to that? Yeah, I, I'm, I'm part of this church. Okay, that's great. See, the, the gap there is where's this wonderful relationship with the Redeemer? Where's this loving, incredible, desiring God thing in there? So unfortunately for some people, church is just an organization or something we belong to, um, and you guys know as well as I do what that produces. Consumers, feed me, teach me, take care of me. And yeah, there are times when all of us need that, right? There are times in our lives and in, in, in the things going on, the context of our lives and, and the difficulty that we're facing, where we need the church to take care of. And we're down, but we're not out, right? And the church rallies around us. Golden Hills is a staple in this community when it comes to taking care of not even just people at Golden Hills. I mean, the, wor the word's out right now. Ask Pastor Dave. The word's out. Oh, you, if you have a, a funeral, Golden Hills will do the funeral. And, and that has, whether you belong to the church or not, and that has been the way that it has always been around here, um, it is not easy to, ma to manage that. But Golden Hills has done their job, I think, as a church to make themselves available in our community. But there are people that have this mindset, you know, that's what, Matt, that's what you're getting paid for, right? You're the paid guy. The pastors are paid to do all the counseling and all the relationship stuff. We just send everyone down there. And I'm saying that's not what Ephesians 4 is saying. You know what our job is? To equip you to work alongside us in personal ministry, public ministry, yeah, private ministry, we're all doing that, but personal ministry, we're all, we all have to be a part of it. It would be impossible 
for paid people to take care of all the needs of the church. It would be impossible. So, God's calling all of his people to be part of the building up of the body process of the church. And these are all the things that we saw in the Ephesians 4 passage, that we're going to be united in the knowledge of the Son of God. If those things are happening and we're all in this together, the whole body becomes mature, not just one, not just one segment of it. Then we will no longer be fooled by false doctrine and false teachers. And we got to be careful of that. We can speak the truth in love and so on and so on. So this is basically what today is about. Ready? So I proved my point. We're all in this together. We need to know how to uh, be trained ourselves. We need to learn how to equip better, the best that we can, those that God brings us. And a lot of that equipping is through caring for them. It's not just all practical skills. It's through relationship, a personal relationship, through love, through acceptance, through challenging all of that. And that's what today's about. But when, when we're talking about caring for and discipling other people personally, right? That means engaging in their life. That means being willing to get down in there. When the going gets tough for them, we're there, okay? When, when caring for and discipling others like that, there's three questions that need to be addressed. And we're going to attempt to address these three questions today. Ready? Why do people do the things they do? Let's have a table discussion. No, I'm <laughs> What do you think, Lori? Why do, just, why do people, I'm not asking you why you do the things you do. That would be awkward. But just generally speaking, why do people do the thing? What's dri and this isn't a setup question. What's dri what drives people? What's that? Hunger. They're hungry for something they're going to do. Pain? Pain could drive a person to do something maybe that they regret later. Who else? Habits, habits, good, yes, habits. I'm sorry. Okay, uh, fair, selfish for selfish reasons. Yeah, I'm going to do that because I'm going to make out on that deal, yeah. Our human nature, right, our fallen nature can drive us to do and say things because we're greedy, right? It's back there, right? So if it's easy, do it, right? Yeah, Dave? Boy, you guys are transparent. Dave, thanks for sharing that. That must be hard for you. No, I'm kidding. I'm teasing. I'm teasing. See, we know each other, and he knows I love him, so I can, I can, no. Okay, one more. Yeah. Pride. Yeah. So I, you guys really went with the sin thing, huh? Because they're... There are, uh, what is a positive reason why we might do something? Love, the, the, the love that God has poured on us, flowing through us. But can, based on our responses, what a great leader, bunch of leaders, right? Grace, based on our responses, can we all agree right now that there's a balance going on there? No one's, no one's perfectly an instrument in the Redeemer's hands, are we? 24-7, uh, no, we're absolutely not. So we're going to answer that question, why do people do the things they do? How does lasting change take place in a person's life? Okay, well, we'll get into that a little bit more in the next session. 
And then how, notice the order here. Then how can I be an instrument of change in a person's life? Do you see that those first two need to be looked at first? Because if I jump right to giving advice and, and telling people scriptures and guiding them into, you know, some solutions and practical steps for them, and I don't know why I do the things I do. You know what I could run into? You know what I, could potentially happen? I love this phrase. I just finally learned what it meant. I'm institutionalizing my dysfunction. And you know what that means? <laughs> that I have motives that aren't necessarily pure. And I have now brought those into my ministry. I've institutionalized my own dysfunction. And I am operating and dealing with people and, God forbid, teaching people or rebuking people out of that institutionalized dysfunction that because I don't have a clue why I do the things I do. Because I don't find a need for self-reflection. I don't see why that's important, even though um, the Bible tells us we're not done yet. We're all in the process of sanctification. I get scared to death if somebody asks me what, what they should do in a certain situation. I'm like, oh, my gosh. I know what I want you to do, right? So I, especially like my wife or my kids or people that I, I mean, I get scared to death now. Because the more I know, the scarier it looks, right? But that's okay because God's in all that. He's working through with us all that. We just have to pay attention. We have to be able to answer that question or at least have these questions on our radar. Why do people do the things they do? How does lasting change take place in my life? And then I need to know how lasting change... I'm not talking about behavior change, okay? We got to aim a lot deeper than just modifying people's behavior. We'll talk about that in a minute. And then how can I be an instrument? We're going to... Um, we're going to answer those questions real quick here as we start to wind down this first session. But, I mean, why do people do the things they do? Why is your teenager angry? Don't ask them. They probably don't know. Right? There's a lot. Anger, just specifically, is a very, it's, it's a mask for what's really going on underneath. It really is a secondary emotion. There's stuff going on under that. They probably haven't done that work. They don't even know how. Why is that person in your small group swallowed up by depression and despair? I mean, you've told them that God loves them a thousand times, but they keep showing up, and you're like, what? Are you not listening to me, right? Why do you get so frustrated just sitting in traffic? I mean, I'm not doing anything, just sitting here. Why would a man risk his entire family? for 20 minutes of sexual pleasure. Why do people do the things they do? Why is that woman you know so critical and controlling? Why does she feel like she needs to do that? Why do people do the things they do? Why do Christians sometimes speak so bluntly and unkindly? Usually on social media, right? Well, I know why they use social media, because you, know, you can drop a hand grenade and go run and hide, right? But why do Christians do that? Do they know why they do that? Maybe they're unaware. Why am I often more concerned about what you guys are thinking about? Why did I, 
wake up at four o'clock in the morning just going, oh my gosh, is everything right? What are they going to think? Are they going to get anything out of this conference? Why do I care more about what you think than more about than what God thinks? Why do people do the things they do? Jesus tells us in Luke 6 that our behavior, the reason why we do the things we do comes from within, not without. I would love to continue to believe the lie that if you guys would just get your act together and be nice to me, then my life would be great, right? If you would stop just doing, criticizing, if you guys would just get with the program that this is all about me and just behave right toward me, then everything, no, that's not, then I'd stop doing whatever I'm doing. That is not the answer. Jesus said that no Good tree bears bad fruit, nor does a bad tree bear good fruit. Each tree is recognized by its own fruit. People do not pick figs from thorn bushes or grapes from briars. A good man brings good things out of the good stored up where? In his heart. And an evil man brings evil things out of the evil stored up in his heart. For the, for the mouth speaks what the heart is full of. That word heart, I mean, we could spend a whole conference on that. We might one day, but that word heart is our inner self. It's a general term describing the inner person, right? The real you, the core of who you are. And for, for many people, it's the, it's the you you're trying to hide from everybody, right? At least part of it. A tree produces fruit. Our heart produces behavior. The body always goes where the heart leads, uh, I, I've been around here a long time. I know a lot of you guys have too, but I've noticed over the years, much of the personal ministry I've experienced is really behavior modification. Accountability groups. I'm not opposed to accountability groups, but when I show up at the coffee house and the only thing people are asking me is whether or not I did this or whether or not I didn't do that, or how often did I do this? How much time did I spend in my private time with... I mean, when, when it's all external, checklist, checklist, checklist. Um, this, this is what Jesus criticized the Pharisees over, right? Change that ignores the heart seldom produces a transformed life. It might modify your, if you put enough pressure on somebody, you can modify their behavior. If you give them enough ultimatums and threaten them enough, we're going to kick you out of this accountability group if you do that again, right? If you put enough pressure on people, you can modify their behavior. But, I'm, but you know as well as I do, it, does not, it doesn't last. So change that ignores the heart seldom produces a transformed life. Ephesians 4.22 says, You were taught with regard to your former way of life to put off your old self, which is being corrupted by its deceitful desires. Here's is where it gets scary. That sin nature, that, that thing that's left over that we still have to deal with even though we're, we're justified before God, even though we're redeemed and adopted into his family, we're still struggle because sanctification is not a one-time deal. It's a process. Part of that is deceiving you. There's something in you that's capable of deceiving you into thinking things like you're better than you are or you don't need to worry about this or that because the sin nature doesn't want to be exposed. 
It would, it's just fine think, having you think more highly than you ought. So we are all susceptible to inner deceit. We must trust Christ to reveal the sin nature that our hearts can't see. So real quick, uh, and then these are the things we're going to cover as we move forward. So how does lasting change take place in a person's life? And I realize that you may be sitting here going, I'm not sure how to do that self-reflection stuff. And I'm not going to lie to you. We're, we're not going to be able to cover all that here this morning. But, but I, if I could just plant a seed in your heart where you walk out of here knowing, you know what, I need to pay attention to what's going on in my own heart because I'm just as susceptible as the guy who's a brand new Christian to being led astray. Man, this thing's bigger than me. Plus, we have an enemy that's the father of lies that just wants to, to lead us astray. So if I could just put a pebble in your shoe, so to speak, and get you thinking, you know what, I need to pay more attention to what's going on in my own heart. So how does lasting change take place in a person's life? Well, we realize that the heart's the target, that there's idols that rule the heart that are going to shape the life and behavior. And the, the word of God becomes that mirror to reveal our hearts to us, so we must be committed to examining our hearts biblically. And like I said, you must change the root, which is the heart, to change the fruit, which is the behavior. Otherwise, you know, there was a guy at a, at a winter camp one time, and they get, they get some of the best speakers at those high school winter camps, but he was, say, he was speaking on this. And he, he said, it's like grabbing a roll of duct tape and duct taping apples and oranges to your, to, like, you know, without working on the root of your issue, because you want everyone to see fruit in your life. And if you're not looking at the, the heart or looking at the roots, you're just duct taping apples and oranges on a limb. How long is that apple or orange going to look delicious if it's not connected to the tree? Plus, it has tape all over it, so nobody wants to eat that. But if you can envision there's no tape, not very long. That's the point. External behavior modification doesn't lead to a transformed life. So when we understand our own heart struggle, like I said, that people in situations don't control what we say and do, it's our heart's desires. When we become united to Christ, the behavior, behavior modification is not sanctification. It's actually hypocrisy, isn't it? When you're acting like a certain way, but that's not really what's going on in your heart, that's sinful. You're a hypocrite. You're not being real. If someone says, how's everything going? Now, I'm not talking about the line at Target, right? But in your group or somebody you trust wants to know how you're doing and you're fine every single time and you're not fine, that's sinful. You're being a hypocrite. You're not being honest. Now, if you don't have people in your life that you can trust like that, and believe me, you need to be discerning in this, then look for those people. Okay, so behavior modification is not sanctification. And lastly, how can I be an instrument of change in a person's life? I just, you know, when it's coming from my changed life, when I'm involved in your life, and what I have to offer you has come from what God has done for me. It is amazing, man. It is incredible what God can do with that. So number one, we're following the wonderful counselor. 
We're allowing him to, to work in us. And then we're going to learn today how to notice when he is working in another. And we're just participating in that. And I just want to dispel the myth today that you have to force share the four spiritual laws or whatever pamphlet you have with every single person that comes into your path. Okay, I'll go on the record and say, I'm not sure that's what we're supposed to be doing. Can God do that? Yeah, absolutely. You can run into somebody that you've never met before and you will never see him again and God supernaturally wants to use you in that moment. Oh, for sure that's possible. But that's going to depend on your being alert and aware with what the Spirit is doing. Because if it's you doing it, and the wonderful counselor is not involved in it, like he's over here somewhere going, good job, Matt. Way to talk about me. Just remember, apart from him, we're not, we can't do anything. So our personal ministry will be way more effective when it reflects the way Jesus works in our own life. Look at that, it's 10 o'clock. Unbelievable. Let me pray for us. Let's take about 15 minutes, talk about some of the stuff we talked about. I mean, Sonny, Sally, and Vanita got here at 6 o'clock this morning. Amen. Vinny got here like quarter to nine. No, I'm just kidding. See, see, why do I do that? Why do I do the things I do? No. God, thank you for, for wonderful servants like the ladies that sacrificed some sleep and got up so early to come here this morning and provide this for us. God, I just want to pray that you would that you would use this. You would use your word in a personal way. And do what you need to do in here this morning to make us instruments. We're instruments. We want to we be available for you. We don't want to work independently of you. God forbid that we would work and minister independently of you. So help us understand this. Help us learn some new concepts today. Convict us and move our hearts toward this. We love you and we're so thankful for you. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, we'll bring you back in about 15 minutes.